Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Eiffel Grand Prix race review podcast for this afternoon's race at the Nürburgring in Germany. The race was brilliant. We had Lewis Hamilton equal 91 wins with Michael Schumacher to become the most successful all-time driver alongside the seven-time world champion in terms of wins, a result that's been coming for a long time for him. I'm Freddie Coates, and I'm here with Nigel Chu and Adam Dickinson, where we're going to chew over the fact from what was quite a weird race at points, but turn into a pretty decent one, and one that I think, as a fan, you can kind of enjoy as a milestone race for Hamilton. Um, Nigel, how are you doing? You, you having a good day? Did you enjoy the race? Yeah, it was a quite a good race. I thought lots of talking points, lots of it was quite action packed, and yeah, Hamilton equaling the record. Finally, finally done it. He'll might look to beat it next time out, of course. Yeah, well, we'll see, won't we? But yeah, you, you doing good, Adam? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll I, bring you in. <laughs> not spoken to Freddie since I entered his house. Um, so yeah, Freddie, I'm doing very well. Um, yeah, I enjoyed the race. I thought coming into the race, I felt I was concerned, kind of, if there wasn't, you know, like chaotic weather or you know, kind of something to mix up the order at the start, would it be? you know, that good a race, and it was. So, yeah, it was kind of surprised me from that aspect. And, yeah, really enjoyed it. Good battles up and down the field. Yeah, there were quite a few good battles. You had um, an actual overtake for the lead, which was what brought Valtteri Bottas out of contention at start for the race win. He did take pole in the first place yesterday after a very, very strong qualifying for him, actually. He was um, well up the well up the road from Lewis Hamilton. He was purple in all the sectors to set basically an all-time fastest lap of of the Nürburgring to take pole position, despite Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen nipping at his heels all session. Um, he retained the lead at the start, um, despite getting a slightly worse start than Hamilton. They were all misjudged turn one. It's such a bonkers turn one there. The, the way it, it's got a mini cliff as on the apex, so they have to go out wide. Everyone was off the track, and that enabled Bottas to get his elbows out and stick it with Hamilton and then take the keep the lead until his lockup around lap 15 or so. Um, unfortunately, he was out of the race later on with a power unit issue, so it probably was meant to be that Bottas wasn't going to win this race. Um, but do we think it was a, a tough ride for Lewis? Do we think um, it was a race that he had to work for a bit more? Or do we think... It was handed to a bit more. Uh, Nigel, what do you think? Do you have any, any strong opinions? Uh, I think he... Well, I've, I've always got strong opinions. <laughs> uh, I think... That's I think what you <laughs> I think Alton would have won anyway because of the overtake. And ultimately, it was a mistake from Bottas. Bottas would have probably finished second or even third. Uh, so, yeah, I think Alton would have won anyway even without the power unit uh, problem for Bottas uh, at the Nürburgring. Yeah, I think I'd I concur with that. I mean, you know, it was like a lot of his wins this season that he just had to kind of drive drive flawlessly and he did and Bottas didn't and then retired. But I think I agree with you. I think he would have he would have won anyway, having got the overtake and he, he said afterwards kind of he felt his tyres felt good and he just thought Bottas was pushing it, you know, to try and keep a decent gap and, you know, he thought he thought he would kind of put the foot wrong. At some point, um, I, d I don't really like the first corner. It was, it's kind of you thought at, at one stage it looked like they might take each other out, or mm. you know, and but but actually it was kind of all well, the cars ran right, but they did a normal corner. It was like they they did a normal <laughs> line through the corner, but just kind of ten meters further across than than the actual corner and track markings were. Um, and it was good from Bottas to you know kind of keep keeping the fight and um, kind yeah. of take slash retain the lead through turn two yeah um and in second place at the end of the race we have max verstappen who was nipping at the heels of the mercs in the early stints which sort of drove the pace up and ultimately led to the tire issues probably for valtteri bottas hamilton did com complain i think on the road i think you could say it's a complaint but he was a bit shocked i think at how max verstappen was able to uh, nip on his heels so much during that opening stint he managed to finish uh, five seconds off Lewis Hamilton at the end of the race, getting the fastest lap on the final lap to deny Lewis Hamilton from being 70 points clear of Valtteri Bottas in the World Championship. I don't know how close Verstappen is. I think he's only about 15 points off Bottas now in the Championship yeah. um, based on that result. 
with his 19 points for second and fastest lap. Um, Zappen looked to be the only sort of candle held to Hamilton for about 40 laps of that race. Um, never sort of dipping behind 10 seconds off him. Uh, do you think if there hadn't been the late safety car due to not Lando Norris's retirement, do you think there could have been a sort of gamble from Red Bull? Do you think they would have mm. pitted on anything? Or do you reckon it would have just been hold station, bring it home for no. second? No, yeah. I think if Verstappen pitted, Hamilton would have just pitted the next lap. And mm. then if Verstappen doesn't pit, Hamilton won't pit either. It's just, you know, it's not, there's not much they could have done. Yeah, and I, th- I think there was a much better chance for Verstappen to get ahead through the safety car than there would have been by kind of running a strategy gamble. And it was, didn't mention this um, when discussing Hamilton, but it was a flawless race start. Um, you know, just completely dropped the rest of the pack. And um, I think Verstappen came under a bit of pressure from the cars behind as well, kind of through the yeah. final corner. So really good from Hamilton. And that was really, you know, when Verstappen would have had to have pounced. Um, but, you know, just, he just wasn't able to. Yeah. Hamilton went at the right point, didn't he? He went at the, before the chicane, so he can give mm. himself a bit of a run, warm up his tyres a little bit more than if he went after the after the chicane. So he did exactly the right thing on the restart. Yeah, he was doing so well that he was weaving on the straight on, <laughs> um, because he had basically, I don't know how many cars widths he had to probably the maximum he could have done to Verstappen at that point. And was just in control of that restart. I mean, yeah, you say that's the only point. If Verstappen had got ahead, I still think Hamilton would have won. I think he was, he, the DAS um, system in the in the Mercedes for this, heating up the tyres, um, would have just been able to absolutely pounce on the Red Bull, I think, at, at the end of that race anyway, even if Verstappen had got ahead. But yeah, Hamilton was flawless in that regard. Third place, when well, the fight for third place was completely open. <laughs> From, from Valtteri Bottas's retirement, which normally we don't have. Normally we have the Bottas for Stappen Hamilton uh, bingo card crossed off for every race. But third place became a, a completely open book after Bottas's retirement, and that was sealed by Renault's Daniel Ricciardo, taking his, the fir- his first podium since Monaco 2018, and Renault's first podium for Renault as a car company entity works team since Malaysia 2011. And NT Menstone's first podium since Spa 2015. Uh, flawless drive from Ricardo as well, do we think? Yeah, it was. I think it was shaping up to be an interesting um, battle at the end before the safety car with Perez and Ricardo on different strategies and didn't know whether, um, you know, how they played that, whether Ricardo would have to pit again or whether he'd kind of be holding on on more worn tyres and Perez was closing in quite a lot. I think they said seven tenths a lap with about 15 laps or so to go. Um, so it's kind of shaping up to be to be interesting from there. And then safety car happened and they both pit. And then, well, initially it looked like uh, Racing Point had gambled and left Perez out. Um, but then they pit in the next lap and he slotted him back behind Ricardo. So, yeah, I mean, he did, you know, he didn't break down, which is what is... Um, Norris did is kind of one of his rivals for the podium position. And yeah, he just, you know, did everything he needed to do, kept cool, kept cool and kept the pace high um, as well. So yeah, good drive from uh, from Danny Rick. Yeah, he's thoroughly deserved it as well. He's been driving brilliantly all year and Renault hooked it up again on this rel- relatively high downforce circuit, which is a bit different to what we've had in the last few races. So the Renault car seems to be a pretty versatile car now when in the last few years, they seem to only do well on certain circuits. Now they're doing quite well across the board, it seems. And yeah, Ricardo's just just a brilliant job. And I was thinking, I think Martin Brundle said, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if Alonso and Ricardo were in the Renault team next year? Or something? Yeah, and we've had a few novelty podiums this year as well. Partly because Ferrari are now considered a novelty podium because they're yeah. awful. <laughs> Um, yeah, we've had Leclerc twice, Norris, Sainz, um, obviously casually getting the win and Stroll getting it as well. So it's been quite a good... Obviously, there's been the stranglehold by Verstappen, Bottas and Hamilton when they are on form. But when they're not, it has opened it up and it's been quite interesting looking at that battle behind. I think, yeah, we've got to really praise Ricardo for his original strategy before the safety car kind of rescued that, I think, um, in rescued that 
sanity. Otherwise, I think you'd be pulling your hair out if you're a Ricardo fan or driving a member of the Renault team because having to nurse those tyres from actually really early on for probably two-thirds, three-quarters of the race, he would have nursed a set of mediums um, on what was predicted to be a two-stopper strategy, which it was in the end. But he, he would have done incredibly well without the safety car to get the podium. And I think to hold that gap to Perez that he did for so long, I think we've really got to applaud Ricardo for that. And equally recall, re- applaud Perez for, um, for his 30, lamps, 30 lap stint as well as Norris did on soft tyres. They both did fantastically to eke out their tyres that way. Norris probably would have been in the fight for the podium at the end if he didn't have his power unit issue, which brought on the safety car, which is a bit of a shame because he's been, he's been on it all weekend. He's not got the upgraded bits for the McLaren. Those are on Science's car, but the pace was always with Lando Norris. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Norris, one of, one of, Finn, that was possibly one of his best races of the year, definitely since Austria, was it, on the podium? No, yeah. yeah, Austria was the podium. Uh, yeah, Science said after the race that the new upgrades didn't really work and it was great in the front tyres, whereas mm-hmm. Norris with the old old package uh, fared better. But yeah, Norris was, even with the power troubles Norris had, he managed it really well to uh, carry on going on in the race until obviously he had to retire uh, because it got too bad, I guess. Yeah, that was um, a, an interesting uh, debate that McLaren are going to be having because they've, they've had Fridays to test out their new parts, but they haven't had that this weekend. But they have whenever they've had the new parts on the car, the other car's not been in the race. They've actually, Science was wiped out so early on in Mugello and Science drove into the wall in um, Sochi, quite embarrassingly. And we only got a couple of laps running with comparing the, the, um, the new parts on the car. So they've actually at least had about 40-odd laps comparing the new parts in race trim completely on the car, which kind of makes up for the lack of Friday at least to compare that. But I think, yeah, there's going to be a few questions at McLaren about whether they're going down the right path because they did look to be where Renault are now. They look to be the, the, the team that was steady everywhere, stable and, you know, plugging and play car. But now it seems to be Renault has that. I think it's, it's also because next year's cars are going to be a continuation mostly of this year's cars and mm. McLaren because they're switching engines. They're going to have less... Um, development credit points to begin with anyway I think for them it's kind of massive that they do get you know the path of they're going on their upgrades correct because it's going to be you know there's going to be a bigger penalty than most years if um, if they don't I think they they they've not been I think as consistent as Renault I mean at any point in the season Renault over the last few races have been have kind of I think been a bit you know, always seems to be around that top five. Whereas McLaren, obviously, they did well at um, the Red Bull Ring, but they've kind of, you know, had some races where they drop off and kind of yo-yoed a bit between, you know, the front of the midfield and the back or kind of the back of the point-scoring positions. Yeah, Renault have really developed well. Because mm. in Spain, yeah. they were 11th and 13th, and that was on pure pace, and McLaren were um, fourth-fastest team that re- weekend, um, just behind the racing points. And when we were at Silverstone and Austria early in the season, we were talking about McLaren being the, the slippery car and the one that was probably going to be the high-speed um, car that could take advantage. But then we got to, from Spa onwards, Renault has been the, the, the car to, to have in these conditions and they've absolutely floored it in constructors points-wise. They were, they, were <laughs> they were way behind Ferrari racing point and McLaren at that point in the season, but they've really closed it. I think uh, the fight going through the next few races, Portugal, Limola, Turkey, all of that is going to be really interesting to see if actually if, even if Racing Point can can keep up there in the top three of the constructor standings, I think that's going to be, my money's now on Renault for that position. Yeah, Knock-On could have got fifth today, I think, if it wasn't for his problems. So it could have been an extra eight points for Renault as well. So. And, well, and a bit more because that would have pushed Sainz down. Ah, yeah. Um, ten. Yeah. yeah. Although you know, if you're doing that, you got to look at if Norris had finished the race. But yeah, yeah true, I, yeah. I take your point. It is you know he he would have been in the running for there definitely. Um, and it is I think if you were going to bet out of kind of the last block of races, if you're going to bet which circuit or if Renault were going to bet which circuit they get a podium on, I don't think they'd pick this one. 
Yeah, I thought this would be the weakest track. Yeah, they they've been there's been several tracks where they seem to have gone in and kind of quite bullish and made a lot of noises about oh we think this is this yeah. is going to be one where we're going to be up there. But I didn't see so much um, from them about that this weekend. Um, so yeah, to kind of get it on here, I guess partly partly shows how it's a bit of a look of the draw in terms of you know how it shapes it further at the field, but also as as we've said, how their car is developing into a really good all-rounder. Yeah, we've mentioned about the Bahrain outer potentially being their only podium chance when they didn't get one in Monza, but we were completely wrong with that. Every race since Renault have been in contention for a podium, pretty much. Mugello, Ricardo was was running third until a few laps from the end, and. Um, I can't remember whether they did that. But yeah, he was close in Russia, actually. He was yeah. he was third on the first lap. Ocon was up there as well. So, um, Spa as well. Spa. Mm. Every mm. race, I think, we've got to really probably count Renault into the podium fight. Yeah. Still was in fourth place. Yeah. yeah. He said after that, he thought if it had gone on for a few more laps, then he would have caught the... Uh, if it had gone for a few more laps, Hamilton but, would have pit. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, he's... I think it's good for them to kind of get that monkey off their back. Mm. Um, a bit like we talked about with Alpon, I'm sure we'll get to later on. And with the novelty podium that we mentioned earlier. But yeah, for them to kind of get that monkey off their back and to have something show for their, you know, years in F1 since since they have come back, they've now, you know, a bit like Honda huh. at um, Austria last year, kind yeah. of have got something to point to and tangible that they can, you know, really celebrate and have. Yeah, the, the Alpon rant is coming, don't yeah. worry. It is it probably going to be three pronged attack on Alex Album today, but we're we're going to we're going to tease that to you now. But we're going to move on to um, another sort of interesting point of this weekend, which seems unique, but actually we've got another race to look forward to it, and that was the washout on Friday, leading to only one hour of free practice three that was basically consistent running all the way through, and teams having absolutely no clue what to do in the race. The strategy this today for everyone was ridiculous. I mean. You were watching 10th, 9th, 8th, and it was a different driver every lap, pretty much. So do you guys think the experiment that we were going to see in Imola, but have been fortunate, I think, to get here, has improved the racing, has basically taken away the information from the teams? Do you think, is that a good idea? It, it's a really tough one, because I feel if they did it for every race, the teams would somehow adapt to it, and they'll just do more work off the track if they do it at some races so not, not all the races if they do it for say 25% of the races on the calendar then maybe it would work but uh, yeah, it does tend to produce better Grand Prix I guess if you look at USA 2015 was it and that was a washout that turned out to be a really good race as well between Red Bull and Mercedes so I think it is a good idea but not for every race I quite like the idea of not telling the teams whether they're going to have it until like they run. <laughs> and then like Friday morning, they're like, actually, you know, you can go to the theme park or whatever because we're not doing practice today. And then you have to scramble around. So uh... the only reason it's not popped up sooner, actually, on a format, on a bill, is because the tickets are so expensive anyway for a Friday. People yeah. just pay for a Friday and get to go and see F1 cars. If they can't afford a race, they can go on a Friday. And I think, yeah, that's a really crucial part of it because you've got to you can't close off such a portion of fans you can't say you have a hundred thousand people coming through the gates on friday saturday and sunday individually and you have fifty thousand people with weekend tickets and say you get fifty thousand people just getting a ticket for a friday because that's yeah. what a lot of people do because it's a, what a lot of people can only afford and yeah, friday is the best day to go to a race arguably as well you get you get a lot of running. You get to see all the yeah. cars, and you can you can explore the track at, at your leisure. Really, if you go to Silverstone on a Friday at the Grand Prix, then you don't have set seats. You can go and sit anywhere. You can sit all around the track. You can watch a car on Quali Sims go through Maggots and Beckett. You can watch them on Highfield go through Abbey. You can go and see them go through Stowe. You can sit opposite the pits and watch that if you want. And you have that on a Friday, but because we're all at home this year. Apart from the 20,000 fans at the Nürburgring today, actually. But because we're all at home for pretty much everything this year, they can be experimental with the format and not have the promoters on their back and not have the, the ticket-paying public on their back. And I, I think it's, it's an argument that is the only argument, I think, really preventing it, personally. Yeah, yeah I, th I think put 
I've two qualifyings, put one on Friday morning, they rock up straight in the car, one shot, boom, do qualifying. Then you get the practice sessions and then uh, they have another one on Saturday um, and find the aggregate time out of that. And then everyone's happy. Um, I just made that up now, <laughs> you might be able to tell. But I, I think it'll be interesting to see how it goes at Imola because it will show kind of whether, well, it, it won't show, but it will give us more of an idea of whether how it played out here was an anomaly or whether, you know, as you said, if they've got time to plan for it, whether that kind of reduces the impact of it. So I think... And they'll have half an hour extra in Imola. It's an hour and a half there. Yeah. They only yeah. had an hour because it was the scheduled FP3. Mm. Um, at Imola, they're properly scheduled for an hour and a half running on Saturday morning before qualifying. Yeah. The best, the best way to find out is to do it on a track to go to a lot of Spain or Silverstone because doing it... At- yeah. Doing it here and doing it at Imola, the new, the new or returning tracks anyway. So it's not nearly fair, I'd say, because there's so, so many other factors with it being a new track and stuff. So I think, yeah, like I said, the best thing to do is to go to a regular track to try it out. Probably. I think having, having done it, well, kind of done it at two tracks where obviously this one wasn't planned, but at two tracks where they, where they don't go regularly will have massively increased the impact of it you know if you go especially Barcelona where they've been for testing already you know it probably you know I, I can't see how much it will really change yeah it will really change it so we've had washouts yeah. before Suzuka a couple of years ago um I remember it popped up at the end with Sergei Sirokin finishing third in the session and all of that so it was, people don't run anyway even if the sessions are wet and they can go out so you get a little bit of wet running and that'll be it. And it becomes a washout, but it becomes a normal day anyway, the next few days. The um, the typhoon in in Suzuka last year, Hagibis. Did, yeah, Hagibis didn't really impact much. It just moved qualifying to an ungodly hour for the European view. <laughs> um, I think I watched five minutes of it, saw a bit of crash and thought, you know what, I'm not watching this red flag and going to bed and went back to sleep. <laughs> um, it's just... I, I think yeah, it, I think it would. I think it would really change a lot. But I think you're right. They would come up with uh, contingency plans, and it's just another day in the simulator, really. To be honest, mm-hmm. um, another day that they can keep uh, the, the main driver at the factory before they go. The media days just push back and all of that. So I think it'd be interesting on some tracks that you need to dial into. So you've got Monaco with that spa back in the day. Not so much these days. Tracks you need to really build up to, tracks that the driver really makes the difference on. But yeah. on somewhere like Sochi, you'll be you'll be on the limit immediately, really, because there's not much to prevent it. That's a good one, actually. At like Silverstone or tracks where there's a short track, like Silverstone <laughs> or Bahrain, there's millions of layouts. I think Coates has got one, uh, Red Bull Ring. They kind of have have practice have the Friday running just on like a short track so they get to learn half the track but not the other and then on Saturday it's like surprise that's this other bit um banging the theories in today um they would be so surprised (laughs) by the rest of the layout like oh wow I didn't see that over there yeah and and then and then they've got to adapt to that within like two minutes and then they boom you're out for qualifying format changes to f1 ladies and gentlemen (laughs) I think there's a, there was a World Motorsport Council meeting the other day. I'm sure Adam was was ringing them up, giving yeah, them all the ideas. That's where all the kind of weird uh, Le Mans prototype rules have just come in, where they're saying you're not allowed to have proper drivers or whatever. <laughs> it's all been a mess over there if you follow that. Um, but we, we won't go into that now because I don't think anyone yeah. understands it. Um, it did make it interesting. It's a bit uh, insulting to our viewers, Freddie. <laughs> oh, maybe they understand. I don't understand it. <laughs> it make it a bit interesting to report that I was reporting on FP1, I believe you had. I had FP2, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was the first time I've had to report on an event that didn't take place. I was, kind of... I was quite pleased with the amount of copy I managed to generate from when nothing happened. Yeah. I am. Um, I don't know. I wrote. I tried to make it a bit more. We've um. We all do this in journalism course. If you don't know, and we've had lectures in the past few weeks on sort of colour writing, a bit more of a, a piece that's got a bit more, not just like a report, something that's a bit more like a, a mini novella as an article. And I was trying to get a bit more of that into it, just because used to be like, oh, look at the the lovely the lovely wet track and all of that. I'm really bad at it, as you can tell. But um, We're playing depressing music. I think it was Lewis Capaldi, someone you loved in. Um, outnumbered as well, which are both not not very um, 
inspiring mm. tunes or kind of uplifting tunes. So yeah, that wasn't adding to that Mr. Crafty one. And the poor, the poor local fans who were unable to see anything mm. and got probably hypothermia. Um, another crazy story from this weekend, though, is the arrival of Nico Hulkenberg to um, Formula One again. <laughs> Lance Stroll was taken ill on um, Saturday morning, not with COVID, but with um, a viral, viral issue with him where he's been basically not able to leave his bathroom, let's put it that way, um, and completely unable to race. The complete, and he apparently was feeling ill from Russia, so I don't know whether he's got salmonella or something bizarre like that <laughs> um I'm, I'm no doctor but it sounds like he's not in a good way the poor lad but it allowed the f1 community to have a another hulkenback scenario like we did at silverstone nico hulkenberg was phoned at i believe 11 in the morning in germany where he's having coffee with a mate and it was otmar safnauer team principal of racing point he got in his he got in his um porsche oh. RS2, I think, which was apparently sold to him a couple of months ago by Keki Rosberg, which is another fun fact that Nico Rosberg instilled on the Sky commentary this weekend. He he absolutely hooned it down the Autobahn in Germany, where he can go at 300 million miles an hour and not be stopped by planes, and got to the track in the middle of FB3, had his COVID test because he had already been sorted on that because he's going to be reporting, and got in the car for qualifying and was... Four tenths off Q2. Yeah, it was brilliant. You know, he was trying to outdo his standing performances from earlier in the season by standing in even later. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, I think his first lap was kind of three three or four seconds off off the next best um, drive, might have been Giovinazzi. But, you know, to get, to just get back into a car that you've not driven in months and, you know, a track that you've, not driven that in in a while then to kind of get in and be that close to the pace immediately it's just stunning really and um yeah fair play to him and then he did he did really well in the race he made up 12 places um and he made a lot of them up early in the race as well kind of um siding through the field they're obviously in a faster car but you know it's still still you know not an easy yeah exactly so i think He's he's done well and he's kind of been ironically one of the F one drivers who boosted their kind of shares the most, stakes the most in the driver market over this year, I think. Yeah, definitely. It was an incredible performance from Hulkenberg. He only did four or five laps in qualifying uh, before to go straight into the race and to finish eighth was a fantastic result. And I mean, he's he's just he's showing that he still has it and that he deserves to be on the grid and there wasn't much more he could do in those circumstances and I know just a few laps no I'll take that back some drivers will but not like yeah I don't know it was a great performance that's all you need to know <laughs> do we all think it's a massive travesty that the two drivers who we think probably performed some of the best performances today, Sergio Perez and Nico Hulkenberg, both don't have contracts in Formula One for 2021? Um, yeah, I think yeah, I yeah. last, last year when Hulk left, I didn't think it was such a massive thing. I kind of thought, you know, he's had, had a long time in F1, you know, I'm not too, don't feel like, you know, up in arms about it. But I do kind of, seeing how he's come back this year and performed so well, I kind of, more more in on um, that point of view. Now he's only something like eight points behind Vettel in the championship, yeah. which is <laughs> incredible. It's just ab- absolutely insane. All the races he started this year, he's finished in the points. Yeah, um, I think they have to say he probably would have finished in the points in Silverstone one had he made it to the grid, and that could have been if his tyres had survived. If his tyres had survived, of course, yeah. um, that would have been a is it was been a pretty fairy tale year for him. I mean, it's 2020. He said in a Sky interview, just like any other day for me. This is how I, this is how I roll, and I think I've got a lot of respect for that. Um, it's not like any day for me. I don't get called up to F1 drives. Um, do we think that there are a couple of drivers, um, naming them Alex Albans, who are 
hogging a seat that one of these guys would deserve. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, I think, I think we named all the Alexanders. I, I, I think I thought about it kind of before, well, during lockdown. Um, I kind of thought out of the grid, there's probably, probably five, so a quarter of the grid that, that you kind of think can mm. be subbed out. Yeah, it can be subbed out and you wouldn't miss, miss them too much. I, yeah, so yeah, I think I wouldn't put um, the greatest t- tie driver in the history of F1 in that list. Um, but yeah, I, I think there is, there are a few um, definitely that, that could be there. But that's the same in most years, to be fair. So Alex Albon's race, we said we'd come on to it. Um, Alex Albon retired about mm, a lap 25 or so after what looked like um, a sin bin from his team, but has actually since been declared to be a Honda issue, which apparently no one heard. I don't think it was a Honda issue. You think he was sin binned? I genuinely think. the Alpha Towers with so much verve and vigour that he was basically... (laughs) <laughs> who knows what he they, was thinking on the pit wall they just held out of a yellow card um, <laughs> as he drove past and then yeah My he chopped in front of Kvyat he dived Pierre Gasly every corner and still couldn't <laughs> get past and Charles Leclerc did it in one try a couple of laps later um, and basically just sort of self spontaneously combusted from his fifth place position and gradually destroyed so many sets of tyres that it was um, without crashing the car. It was a car crash. Good yeah, but don't forget, everyone says he's got great racecraft. Remember this race? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. all I've got to say. It was nasty. You, you, you know my thoughts. I've been saying it since probably race three or four. So yeah, yeah. it was just clumsy. It was just clumsy. It was. It felt like sometimes I've been like racing on F one online and on the street <laughs> circuit and. Biff my wing in, um, come into the pits and kind of get a new one and then just go out and immediately um, mash up that one as well and just kind of in, in a cycle like that. And it felt like he was a bit like that with his tyres. He really, really messed them up kind of on the first lap, on the first sector, um, possibly turn three, um, and kind of came in, swapped over, and it felt then like, you know, what's what can he expect from his race? Um, and, then he, and then he messed them up again. He... On paper, in qualifying, he, he looked to be fourth and then Leclerc pulled out a monster lap. I mean, he was still half second off Verstappen, but he, Leclerc pulled out a monster lap to kind of split split that and take him off the second row, which, you know, it, ultimately I don't think it would have made any difference, but just maybe for him internally, you know, that would have been something to, you know, hold on to and just think, you know, this is, this is an achievement. But, yeah, it's just... Paul Rice all around for me. There has been sort of inklings that there were that Red Bull are really trying to get behind Albon. Mm. And of course, there's been no announcement about any contracts really for Alpha Tauri or Red Bull currently, apart from the lack of a Honda one. And Red Bull really want Albon to work because they don't want to admit that they <laughs> admit their mistakes. They don't want to admit how much they've got it wrong and how much they they didn't nurture a driver. They're trying to learn from it by nurturing Albon, but they're trying to do it, which is a positive. And one way they were going to do that was really impacted by practice this weekend. They were, there was an, um, an announcement on Friday night that they were going to change his chassis. And um, the reason for that was because they were trying an experimental chassis on the Friday with different suspension mounting points. They had consulted Albon for what he wanted and it actually made the chassis a bit more, made this particular chassis favoured to Albon and we're going to trial it on Friday. Obviously, they couldn't do that with no running because they had to put it onto a chassis they knew how to set up for the race, which is why he was on, um, why they reverted the chassis. But Red Bull are trying with Albon. They're trying hard. And it feels in races like today that it's just, he just needs to be better. And that's a really horrible thing to say. (laughs) And it's a really horrible thing to say because you can nurture a driver, you can make a driver better, but the driver's got to do his bit. Yeah. He's out of his depth, I feel. I know it's a harsh comment. But it's a really harsh comment. Mm. It, it did I feel like he was. Think he's... So, hey? It's a good title. For the, uh, <laughs> yeah, 
I, I mean, I, I think what Red Bull are doing is the right thing. It's what I have been calling oh. for them to be doing. Just, you know, to, to know either way, kind of whether he is, um, whether he is suitable for the seat or not, because I don't think you could make that kind of, um, draw that conclusion after a few races but as we're going further and further through the season mm. it's and kind of there's more and more data to look at and races to look at um it's kind of looking more and more like he isn't he isn't the driver that a lot of people i thought he could be and yeah it, it's sad to see and it feels like he is kind of suffering a lot internally because there was feel good around him coming into the seat and it's just not that that's just deserted him completely, which is which is sad to say. It's not an injustice to suck a, dri- suck a driver after an entire season where he's been out qualified, outraced, outperformed completely. Um, and as much as there's, there's a lot to be up in arms about with the way Red Bull treat drivers, um, I think they have a lot of evidence to replace Alex Albon at the end. Oh, yeah. Of this. You would have been lapped today if you stayed in the race. Yeah. Mm. So you would be lapped by his teammate, most likely. Um, yeah. But he would have been able to unlap himself, so you know. Yeah. The roundabouts. <laughs> um, yeah, that's actually an interesting point. Um, building up to before the safety car, Daniel Ricciardo was a comfortable minute behind uh, cruising Hamilton and Verstappen. Um, the gap between Formula One and Formula One and a half today was pretty mighty, I I think. And I think it was saved um, in PR perspectives by the safety car cutting that gap to probably about 15, 16 seconds um, rather than rather than the minute plus, probably minute and a half it was nearly going to be. Um, do we think this is, we all think this is bad, don't we? Um, we just, we have a driver in third who is on, on target to have a brilliant result and something we think is amazing and it's just two drivers is absolutely donkeys clear out of the fight ahead and I think for me for that 2022 can't come soon enough yeah yeah, yeah. I think person well I, I didn't I didn't mind it so much today because there was good battles mm-hmm. kind of up and down the field obviously there wasn't wasn't much of a one for the lead, especially after Bottas retired. But I think I think it's it's kind of two two pronged. Is one that there's not many races where there is a genuine battle for the lead, um, and then kind of behind that, there's just such a massive gap to to the next to the next pack. Um, so yeah, I I, I hope it. Um, gets closer but I think I'd, I'd probably prefer to have had a battle for the lead it, like kind of two two teams that are very close together and are battling mm. for the lead and they're miles ahead of everyone else um, but you have a guaranteed fight yeah r- rather yeah, than no, kind of point. one team that's consistently a bit ahead um, and kind of and then like everyone else so they're not as far ahead of, as the leading pack is at the moment um, but you know, you've got less less of a battle there. Yes, and um, there were quite a few strong performances down the field. We had Charles Leclerc, Adam mentioned, finishing fourth in qualifying and finishing seventh in the race, I think. Yeah. Um, which was a very good performance for Ferrari that's looked a lot better at the moment in the hands of Charles Leclerc. Um, Ferrari were the only power unit manufacturer to not suffer a failure today, um, which should, I think, perhaps be noted in the really cold conditions. Ferrari normally work quite well in the heat, but maybe they've completely reversed that as they reversed their power unit from good to bad this year. So it's just um, like Norwegian Grand Prix. Yes, that's what we Norwegian need. Grand Prix, Siberian Grand Prix, um, Alaskan Grand Prix, and they're in business. The Alaskan Grand Prix will be a definite must <laughs> for every every <laughs> season in the future, I'm sure. Studded tyres like we thought we'd have this weekend and everything. Um, Roman Grosjean, got two points for Haas. Um, complemented by the completely weird strategy conundrum of P7 to P15, where everyone was all over the place, which was very fun and very confusing, yeah, and I brilliant. can't explain any of it. But Grosjean came through after basically 
saying he thinks he's broken his finger on lap one when some gravel flew up and hit his hand. Um, and he just basically was driving through the pain in in the cold, which will just not help his 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 wound at all. And got doubled Haas's twenty twenty points haul. Yeah, it's it's great because Haas have had an awful season. So to get some uh, to get to double his the uh, the points total, like you said, Freddie is fantastic, especially with Grosjean's injury. Uh, did did they gamble at the restart by not pitting? Is that right? I think Grosjean was up to seventh um, under the safety car. So I yeah. think they may have held Grosjean up there and he dropped down. I think he was taken by Gasly early on and, and then yeah. taken by Leclerc as well. Um, so the gamble not to pit, I guess it paid off. Yeah. yeah, it did. It would have paid off. Something they've tried a few times this year and not come off amazingly, having to resort to some rather sketchy manoeuvres from <laughs> Roman Grosjean in races. Then maybe Silverstone springs to mind. I I don't know, but I think it does. Um, and I think it was a very good drive from him. He basically outclassed Magnussen as well before the before the um, before the pit stops because Magnussen was way ahead after the start. Grosjean obviously had his issues, but was able to drive through that and was able to be clear of Magnussen later on. I think it was a very good drive from him. And um, we there's been rumours about his seat. Um, people think Grosjean is you know. He's been on the cusp of not being in Formula One for some time now. He's he's announced that he's going to be talking to Persia about their hypercar entry for uh, for the WEC for 2021. Um, something he's moved a lot more into with his esports as well, doing the 24-hour Le Mans esports with uh, Grosjean's team now. So it looks like he might be stepping away from F1. And do we think that that that's actually maybe not the best decision after this performance, but? Is seesaws don't help it? Yeah, I think well, I think partly because because he's been thought of as maybe lucky to retain an F1 seat over the last few years. That kind of then counts against him. It, people thinking he's unlucky to not have one. If that's the case this season, I think kind of the credit that he's built up of maybe maybe staying on when other people didn't think he should, or you know when maybe results would have pointed to you know, teams picking someone else. Um, I think now, you know, it wouldn't be a massive travesty to lose him. But, you know, I think I think just looking at how he's been doing is probably probably better. You know, he's he's just doing well. He's doing the job that he needs to do every every weekend and, you know, he's outperforming Magnuson over over the last few races. And that's that's really good because we know Magnuson's a quality mm. driver. So yeah, I think you know, maybe it's just for him. You know, once the press is off now, then he is able to do to do a bit better, and you know, just kind of take every weekend on its merits rather than looking at the kind of bigger picture around that. Good point. Yeah, yeah I don't think I can add much more to that. I was nicely put, Adam. <laughs> yeah, um, we did see um, an unfortunate moment on Friday when uh, practice was called off for Haas and Alfa Romeo, where Mick Schumacher for Alfa Romeo and Callum Mylott for Haas were at the the top two of the Formula Two Championship both Ferrari junior drivers were unable to take part in their first Grand Prix weekend um, due to practice being rained off. Um, looking like they're going to get another go of it in Abu Dhabi, perhaps pushing Robert Schwartzman, who's I think fourth or fifth in the um, championship in F2, pushing him aside from his uh, practice session drive. Do we think that's, um, well, do we think they've really missed out? Do you think Callum Eilat has missed out on a chance to show himself off to us? Yeah, I, I think so because <coughs> I don't, it's it's difficult because it, it, he would have had to have performed and we will never know whether he would have done good or bad. But I don't think it helps. Uh, I lot's chances and I think Schumacher is pretty much a done deal, so it doesn't really affect him. But for I lot, it it, it yeah. I, well, I really don't know. I, I just don't know who's going to get a hassle, so I'm not sure if it. Helps or not? I think I, I heard a good point on the um, BBC commentary of FP1. I think it was Julian Palmer saying, kind of, he doesn't know if he'd actually want to go out in those conditions. You know, if, if the yeah, fog, yeah. fog lifts a bit, but it's still cold, damp track, mm. um, and it's it's not kind of ideal conditions to sign. Kind of state your case. You've almost got a lot more to lose than gain, apart from you know actually 
gaining, being able to say you've driven an F1 car. Um, it, if they push the kind of practice back to Abu Dhabi, that'll be interesting because I'd be surprised if the deal, or at least one of the deals, isn't done by then. Yeah, um, it could be a kind of very different picture by then. Um, but yeah, I think you know it's it's obviously disappointing for for both of them. But you know maybe maybe just kind of take a step back and look at the bigger picture for for them and look forward to getting another chance in Abu Dhabi. Hopefully, you know, and I do hope they get that because they do both deserve it. Yeah, the Formula Two Championship will be wrapped up by then, finishing at the Bahrain Outer layout the week before. Um, basically, what's caused a lot of the stir for Ilot um, was the revelation it is a revelation really because you think with Ilot having a Haas FP1 drive that he's going to be being considered for the Haas Formula 1 drive for 2021 but um, Gunter Steiner alluded to the fact that that was more just a favour to engine supply Ferrari um, rather than him actually being in contention on Gunter Steiner's list of 10 his short long shortlist for the Haas 2021 drive, um, which meant that a lot of people thought, well, he's going to really have to uh, show his worth this weekend, and he wasn't able to. A lot of French um, TV have reported that apparently Nikita Mazepin might have uh, a seat with Haas in 2021, and there's you know there's so much to go into here, and I think we're probably going to have to save this for our um, next episode in yeah. <laughs> week. Yeah. Um, because I think there's so much talk about about the Haas which driver lineup, which is now completely opened up. Similarly, as the Alfa Romeo one seemingly closes and brings in Mick Schumacher and Kimi Raikkonen, as pretty much everyone seems certain of. Um, I'll leave it mostly, but I will just say I think I can see from Gun- Gunter Steiner's own self-interest of kind of you know obviously what. We're not a Ferrari team. Yeah, yeah, but also, you know, when people are judging his team and whether it will stay in the sport, and, you know, he has to take drivers back to Gene Haas to, uh, sorry, he has to take results back to Gene Haas yeah. um, to say, look, this is why we should stay. And I can see perhaps why he doesn't want to take a risk. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a teaser for probably a Haas special coming up <laughs> in a few days, I reckon. Um, so yeah, that's that's basically it for our Nurburgring Eiffel Grand Prix race review podcast that we just had. Um, do we think Nurburgring lived up to everyone's expectations? Were you happy with it? Do you think it, it was it better than expected? Mine. Yeah, mm-hmm. as I've said at the start, I, out of ten, I give it an eight. Yeah, very nice. Mm-hmm. Rachel, yeah. it's what I expected. Yeah. Mm. You expected it to be a four, six, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it was good. I really enjoyed it. It was. Uh, yeah, something different, I guess, with the different challenges that that they had for the drivers, and I think the track produced a better racing than I thought as well. I think at the start of the race, I thought, oh no, it's going to be difficult to overtake. But then the different strategies and the time of the year it is allowed for an action-packed Grand Prix. I think it's in some ways better that we got this type of race where it's you know still eventful and still yeah. action-packed, a lot of battles, but it wasn't kind of just total chaos like. Yeah, I don't know, say Hockenheim last year or um, Italy this year or Mugello. Yeah, I think, you know, th- those races are brilliant, kind of 10 out of 10. But actually, it's nice to get a different kind of race and in some ways more satisfying uh, this type of race. So, yeah, well done for Minerva. Yeah, it's nice to see Formula One drivers be really skilled drivers and not be like crashing all the time. Although there's, there's quite a few spins early on when it got a touch damp. And Kimi Raikkonen nerfed out George Russell out of complete racial <laughs> crew, um, which was um, a bit of a shame for him on his record-breaking afternoon, um, which everyone is so happy about, apart from him. Um, okay, the final point before we end this podcast is going to be, we're going to go around, around the, the Zoom room and fig- find out what everyone would give Cyril a beatball as the tattoo. Well, I don't uh, know about Nigel, but I didn't know this was coming. <laughs> Neither did I. Uh, I'm just going to go the so big face of Daniel Ricciardo on his chest. I thought you were going to say over his face. <laughs> <laughs> um, that would really mess up the face mask. It would look- <laughs> <laughs> we can get a custom-made face mask. Um, yeah, I think um, Daniel Ricciardo's suggestion of kind of something... Related to him, but also related to Germany, was 
a good suggestion. Um, uh, honey badger. Just in Horner's face. I'll go for a honey badger kind of climbing up his leg. Ooh, climbing up his leg, that's quite fun. That's a nice little um, touch there. I was maybe thinking, ah, that's Austria, isn't it? Sound of music. Oh, well. Um, I was going to say something along the lines of, oh, um, the honey badger in a lederhosen, but that's Austria more than Germany, really. Um, I think you could go for something that would really, you know, bait him out. And I think a Honda logo, just just a plain Honda logo, it would just be a bit weird for him and you would really not like it. A McLaren badge. McLaren badge is a good one. Yeah. Or maybe even a honey badger. A honey badger. Curling around his chin, around his ear. A honey badger riding a Red Bull with Fernando Alonso's (laughs) head. (laughs) Ready and waiting for where? Lots of complaints from Alonso. Um, it would be on his thigh. So if he ever wears like shorts, you can see the bottom of it, and it's just like four little legs on a bull and yeah. a tail. I'd, I'd like one that looks. It goes up his arm, and it looks like um, I can't work out where my arm is. Looks like just kind of two lines going up to about there, and then it's actually like skid marks, and then it's got like a car like spinning out of control there but it's a bit of a, a tease as you go up the arm and then you only notice when you like roll up his sleeve or something that's what i'm going for we do have to um give us a disclaimer none of us are daniel ricardo and cyril obit will get size and placement um finalization daniel ricardo only gets to choose the design but it could be something absolutely lovely and actually quite nice and probably like a, a thank you renault or something like that which would mm. actually be kind of sweet it doesn't have to be a doesn't have to be um, something that will make Cyril Abitbull's partner absolutely despise him whenever he's getting out of the shower. And none of us have tattoos as well. Well, no. unless, unless you're both hiding something from me. Um, I do have Nigel's name tattooed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you can get the tattoo from the Brothers Grimsby, where it's got like England, World Champions 2016, <laughs> 2016. You can get it for France. Cause Just get it for saying we all love. With love, Flavio Briatore. All your success <laughs> comes from me. Um, so yeah, we, we think that was a, a bit of a balmy end as per to these podcasts. Um, you can find us in lots of different places and you can find out where those are by looking in the, the captions around this. Um, Winging at F1 on Twitter. Uh, Fredco's1999 on Twitter for myself. Nice to know that you know mine after I read out yours so perfectly. Last Adam time. Dickinson 01. That's correct. For Adam and Nigel C. Journo on Twitter. You guys do not get the chance to speak anymore after Adam broke the rules there and didn't say his Twitter handle. Um, you can find the website online. Um, in oh, Damn it, I've forgotten the website. This is not good. ACAST. It is shows.acast.com forward slash winging hyphen it hyphen f1 hyphen podcast it's not a mouthful if you say it quickly and that's where you can find everything so thank you so much for listening watching doing whatever you wanted to do with this podcast have a brilliant day wherever you are and we'll see you for our next interrace podcast has special that we've accidentally teased goodbye everybody